One more time. Good morning. We're going to take a break from the study on authority just because we need to talk about some stuff today. Lord, as we open your word, we just ask, make things clear. Touch us with you what you want us to know. So help us today. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen. So welcome to everybody here and everybody watching online. We're going to talk about God's appointed time. Would you repeat that with me, please? God's appointed times. And uh, as I've shared with you, there's a group of us going to Israel next spring. And uh, if you've never been before, it's a trip of a lifetime. We're going April 1st, be back on the 11th. It is my favorite place on the earth. It really makes the scriptures come alive. You can go to this link and look at the itinerary and cost. Uh, I'm taking you, but I ain't paying for your way, right? I mean, you got to pay for your own way, but I'll take you. We'll take about 40 people and people are signing up and your deposit will hold your spot. But we'd love to have you. Does anybody know what today is? Oh, you guys are on top of it. Some of you said Sunday, so I appreciate that too. That's great. Uh, it's Yom Kippur. Everyone say Yom Kippur, which is the Day of Atonement. It is the high of all high Jewish holy days, and today's it. That's why we got to talk about this. Did you know what last Sunday was? Rosh Hashanah. And uh, uh, we didn't, I just mentioned it, we didn't talk about it. But we need to know these things. When God says something in the scriptures, he says it over and over and over again. Different pictures, different symbols, different prophets, because he's trying to communicate to his children. And uh, our Savior, how many love Jesus? Our Savior is a central figure in every book of the Bible. And he's there. And he is on every page of the Bible. And sometimes it's very easy to see him on the page. At other times it seems like he's off stage in the shadows. He's working, for instance, in the book of Esther. And that wonderful book, The Name of God, is not even mentioned one time. But he's on every page. He's in every event. He's working. He's there. Here's a story uh, in the book of Ruth where this widowed woman has no hope of ever being cared for, and a relative of her husband's uh, family takes her in and becomes her rescuer or kinsman redeemer, and that's what Jesus did for us. When we had nobody, had no hope, he rescued us and brought us into his family. So So the object is we want to look for him. See where he is in scripture. See where he is in life. It is a great adventure. He's the one that promised to never leave us, promised to never forsake us. He's always there. He's always watching. He's wanting to help us. Most of the, often we don't let him help us. We think we're, we're smart enough. But in this picture, he's the fourth man in the fire in the book of Daniel. So he's a central figure of all history. I love history. I love to study history. I love to learn from history. 
but he is the focus of all history, not Julius Caesar, not Joseph Stalin, not Thomas Jefferson. He is a he is the focus of all history because history is his story. Say that please. It's his story. And so we want him to be central in our lives too. What is this? This is a treasure map. And in my view, that's what the Bible is. The Bible is a treasure map. And every day there are clues, there are lessons, there are truths and principles. And ultimately, Jesus is the treasure. So when you think about the scriptures that way, uh, it gives you a high view of today. Now let's look at our scriptures. You got your Bibles? Hold them up. Let me see your Bibles. You brought your Bibles today? Excellent. This is English Standard Version, and I will start at verse number 1. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, These are the appointed times of the Lord, where you shall proclaim as holy convocations, They are my appointed times. And we talk about the Sabbath. Now, my Bible has headings over the verses to tell you where the seven feasts are. I don't know if your Bible does that or not, but it first talks about the Sabbath. Six days you shall work, but on the seventh day it's a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. One day a week should be different for all of us. You shall do no work. It is a Sabbath to the Lord in all your dwelling places. Verse number four. These are the appointed feasts of the Lord, the holy convocations, which you shall proclaim at the time appointed for them. In the first month, what, which month? Now, our first month is not the Jewish first month. But in the Jewish first month, on the 14th day of the month at twilight, what time? When is twilight? When sun goes down. And the Jewish day doesn't start in the morning. The Jewish day starts in the evening. Sunset to sunset. Like today, the festival starts today at sundown and goes till Monday at sundown. On the 15th day of the same month is a feast of unleavened bread to the Lord. For seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall have a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. Uh, by the way, the Jews had a lot of vacation time. On the first day you shall have a holy convocation, not do any ordinary work, but you shall present a food offering to the Lord for seven days. On the seventh day... It is a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. Now, we're going to go through the seven feasts, but they are seen deeper in other parts of the Torah or the Old Testament or the first five books. So the main point is the Father is telling his people and telling us these seven are his appointed times. Everyone say appointed times. They're different than other times. He's going to choose to meet differently during these seven times. And he's going to reveal his purposes. It's like a big billboard. It's like a play as the Lord demonstrates. 
Now, four of the seven feasts occur in the spring of the year. So when do the first four occur? In the spring. Look at the chart. On the left, you have the spring holidays, and there's four. And those were fulfilled in Jesus' first coming. On the right hand of the page, we have the three holidays that will be fulfilled in the coming future, and it relates to the second coming. A lot of Christians have never heard this. So, the four in the spring are, say it with me, they are Passover, say it, they are unleavened bread, they are first fruits, and they are Shavuot. Everyone say Shavuot or Pentecost. Now, this is from the book of Leviticus. Before I was a Christian, I tried to read it, and it made no sense. I put it up and closed it today. I love it as much as I love the book of John because the Hebrews had been in Egypt for 400 years. And they needed to have different behaviors, different attitudes, different families. And so Leviticus is a time of reset, a cleansing. I want you to be a holy people because I am a holy God. Now, these four spring feasts represent the Messiah's, Jesus' first coming, which has already happened. What's the picture on the screen? What's the picture? That's the nativity. That's the nativity. The three final feasts in each year, so it's celebrated by Jewish folks and many Christians throughout the year, is in the Hebrew month of Tishri. Say it please, Tishri. So you look, you see up on the screen, 12 tribes. 12 months. Ephraim is which tribe? What number? Seven. Tishri is what month? Seven. So that is the month we are in right now. That's why we just had to talk about this. I don't want you to miss this. September, October, very, very special time to heaven. So, The three in the fall demonstrate and illustrate Christ's second coming, which is getting closer every single day. We don't know if it's next week. We don't know if it's 20 years. I don't, I think it's much shorter than 20 years. I'm not making any predictions. We, we're one day closer. Now this, the final three feasts in the fall, or what the Apostle Paul talked about when he wrote about the blessed hope of the church. First church, all Jewish. All Jewish converts. So the spring feast, so let's go into them. The spring feast, the very first one, uh, let's pronounce this Jewish word, Pay sock. Will you say it with me, please? Pay sock. One more time. Pay sock. How do you learn to pronounce it? Well, you you paid a good price for a sock. Pay, pay sock. And what is pay sock? Jews say pay sock. Christians say Passover. What does it illustrate? 
It pictures the death of Jesus Christ. No other, no other picture better than Passover, the death of Christ. And this feast, Passover or Pesach, is a foundation of all of God's plan. It is a foundation of the other six feasts that follow it. So it's very, 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 very important. Now, if you've ever been to a Passover celebration, the word for it is a Seder meal. They will have plates, and sometimes it's elaborate, but there's different food portions that illustrate what the Hebrews went through in Egypt 35 centuries ago. And I will give you one word with every one of the feasts. If someone says, what's that about? Then you can explain it. And the one word for uh, for Passover is the word redemption. Everyone say it, please. Redemption. Redemption means to pay back, to buy back. Now, my Jewish friends, they don't understand often what they reenact. There is a veil over their eyes. They don't, they reenact it. They see part of it. They don't see all of what the scripture wants them to see, but the time will come when they will. Now, here's what Passover shows. Because of the bondage in Egypt for God's people for 400 years, They were going to be freed at the first, very first Passover. And that was God's heart. So, well, how did it work? It worked like this. Every home in Egypt and the Jews all lived in one section of Egypt called Goshen. So every family would select a one-year-old male lamb. If you were very poor, you might celebrate it with another family and so the father, so they, they would bring in this one-year-old lamb into the home and for a week. The kids would love it. I wouldn't doubt if they didn't name it. They'd sleep with it. They'd pet it. And they would learn a lesson, how sin is costly. It's very costly and expensive. And so about 3 o'clock all that Passover night, the father would take the life of the lamb. And he would use a basin and catch the blood and the father of the house would take a herb from Egypt at that time that was they used it grew it in their gardens and he would dip that those branches in the blood the fresh blood of the lamb and place it over the door and down the doorpost of their home now why do that Because God warned them that during the night, the death angel would come. This was the last of the judgments on Egypt. And it would be so severe, the Egyptians would push them out. Because in every home, the firstborn would die. Whether it was in Pharaoh's palace or the poorest person's house, unless... The father dipped the blood over the house, on the door frames and doorposts of the house. 
And so when the death angel came to bring judgment, the death angel would come and see the blood of the lamb. And the death angel would do what? Pass over the house and go to the next house. I want to say to you, we had two of our brethren take their last breath last couple of days. They were both men that had received Christ as their Savior. You do not want to die without Christ. You do not want to die and go to the next realm and face the judge of the universe and say, why should I let you in here? Because I'm a good person. You will not get into heaven. The only reason you will get into into heaven is because of the blood of the sinless Lamb of God that John the Baptist saw as he was coming to the River Jordan to be baptized. John pointed and said, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Okay, let's go to the second one. The second one is called what? Say it, please. Unleavened bread. What does it picture? Now, I think it pictures the burial of Jesus. The first one pictures the death of Jesus. The second one, unleavened bread, pictures the burial of Jesus. How do you get that? Well, here's how I get it. So the second feast started right on the heels of the first one. Passover started, unleavened bread started. And you see a picture of a Jewish family. They could be in Chicago. They could be in Lexington. They could be in Jerusalem or Haifa. They're celebrating the Passover. And the Feast of Unleavened Bread was celebrated for seven days. How many days? Seven days. So you take Passover, which was one, and the seven days, which is seven, you have how many total? Remember, the answer is always on the screen. Third grade level. Okay, so show up your parents, kids, please. So in preparation for the time, the Hebrews were told something very important. I want you to go through the house, and I want you to gather up all the leaven. Now, I don't know my way around a kitchen except to eat, but leaven is what makes bread rise. It takes time. And that very first Passover, they were to eat it in haste. You don't have time to make elaborate bread. So no leaven, no leaven products at all. They had to come out of the house. In this case, there's a picture The picture is that leaven is representing sin in a person's life. Just like leaven changes all the compensation of dough and flour, sin changes our compensation. How many have made poor and bad choices with your words, your actions, your failures, And it messed up everything. Hold your hand up. That is leaven. And Paul said it's a great picture because he said just a little bit of leaven changes everything. So let me share a little bit about Passover in a Jewish home. So at a Passover service, they'll take the bread. Was it leavened or unleavened? Unleavened. Matzah bread. 
and and they would break it in two. The biggest portion, I've been in Jewish homes where they did this, the biggest portion they would place, I've seen them place it in a cloth bag and seal it up. I've seen them just cover it up with a towel. And this is before the children around the table, and they will hide it somewhere. They will hide it behind a picture, hide it behind a bunch of books, even tape it to the bottom of the table where they're eating. And Jews do do this because of what some rabbi said. But for Christians, there's a bigger picture because the picture is that Jesus is hidden in the tomb. Jesus is the bread of life. And there is absolutely no leaven in Jesus' life, absolutely pure. And if you look at, and, and the word for the unleavened bread that they hide is this word afi koman. Would you say it please? Afi koman. And you can see the burnt places on it. And if you look at it closely, it looks almost like the stripes that our Savior endured. Now, the word that helps us understand the unleavened bread is a word all over the Bible, but we don't use it much. The word is sanctification. Please say sanctification. Well, what does it mean, Pastor? It means that we belong to Christ, but we're living a little cleaner, a little more pure, a little more pleasing year by year. I'm just curious, how many of you are living a little better than you did five years ago? On Friday, I'm driving to an appointment, and I've been praying and studying. And I had the sweetest time with the Lord in the car. And my simple prayer was, Lord, I just want to be a little cleaner. I want a better heart. I want to be more loving. I want to be more kind. I want to be more humble. I want to have more of a servant's heart. And by the time I was just praying that simple little prayer, tears running down my face, that is the sanctifying process of the Holy Spirit. Now here's another picture of sanctification, which is beautiful. When Jesus volunteered for the plan of God to leave heaven and to come to earth as a man, to be born in a stable, Live as a man, die in the form of a man, and bear our sin. He was set apart from the very moment he, well, he was always been set apart. But he was set apart when he was born, set apart as he lived. He was just different. And set apart just means different, sanctified. So we want to be set apart. We want to be different. Maybe you're the only Christian in your family. You want to be different. Not better than, but you want to be kinder. You want to be more helpful. You want to have a servant's heart. You want your marriage to please and honor God. You want your money to be used different than the way other people use their money. And that's this word sanctification. We are set apart. We 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 follow God. And the scripture tells us his body experienced no decay in the tomb. 
Why did he experience no decay? Because he was resurrected. His body was, his bones were never found. Someone's got to say amen to that, please. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Here's the third one. It's called first fruits. Everybody repeat it, please. First fruits. So we've seen the death. We've seen the burial. What do you think is next? We see the resurrection. First fruits. Picture the resurrection. Well, you lost me, Steve. How does it picture the resurrection? Here's how it works. So the first two feasts are just like side by side. The third feast starts actually the second day after unleavened bread. So again, we see bang, bang, bang. Three together. And the first crop that was harvested in Israel was the barley crop. It was always harvested on the 16th day of the Hebrew month, Nisan. Everyone say Nisan. Now, what does Nisan mean? It is not this. Here's Nisan. Again, 12 tribes. How many months? Remember, answers on the screen. 12, 12 tribes, 12 months. Judah is the first tribe. And the first month in God's calendar is Nisan. So, the barley crop was harvested. And the first portions were offered to the Lord as an act of worship. That's first fruits. It's a principle for us believers today. The first part of the day I want to offer to the Lord. The first part of my money I offer to the Lord. My first love I offer to the Lord. I want to give him not the last. I don't want to give him the middle. I want to give him the first. You want to give him the first of your talent. Everything. You give him the first. And so the first roots, that's a picture of resurrection. Resurrection of who? The resurrection of Jesus, God's son. Well, okay, I'm trying to track with you, Steve. What are you talking about? Well, like this. This rest of the scriptures tell us that the resurrection of Jesus is a promise. Does God make promises? Yes or no? He was resurrected, and he said, because my son was resurrected, and you're my son, you're my daughter, you will be resurrected. That's the promise. You don't have to be afraid of death. And he was the first fruit of the great harvest that's going on today and will be greater in the future. Okay, are you with me so far? Hello, are you with me so far? Okay, let's go to the fourth one. There's this Hebrew word, it's kind of hard to pronounce. I'll do my best, say it with me, Shavuot, say it, Shavuot, and it's the Feast of Pentecost, which is the coming of the Holy Spirit. So we have death of Christ, burial of Christ, resurrection of Christ, coming of the Holy Spirit. Boom, 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 boom. These four earth-shaking events prophesied 1,800 years before they happened. Now, it's curious, Pentecost was also given a different name. The name was the Feast of Weeks. Would you say weeks, please? 
Why? Why weeks? Penta means five. Pentecost means 50th. Well, I still don't get the weeks. The Hebrews were told after Passover, count seven weeks. How many weeks? So seven times seven is how many? So the very next day is the 50th, which is Pentecost. And they were told it's time to bring in that offering, the harvest. The harvest is due. The key word is harvest. Say it with me, harvest is important to Jesus. And this is a harvest, not of the barley crop, the wheat crop. It comes in later. It's very important. I just love the treasure map. I get excited about the treasure map. I get excited when I see, oh my, look at that. I've never seen that before. You bring out your flashlight, you bring out your magnifying glass, and you turn to somebody, look at this. So are you ready for another little clue? The high priest would go to the tabernacle or the temple, and he would have a special ceremony, a special offering of two loaves of bread. How many loaves? Two. Two. Not three, not five. Two loaves of bread. He and the Jews did not know the significance. They were just told to do it. The significance is, we're told later, is they represented the Jews, God's chosen people. They're still God's chosen people. And the Gentiles who would become one. In Messiah. And we're told later that the wall of hostility is broken down. Now, with me, I have done the research. I don't think I have a drop of a drop of Jewish blood. I wished I did. I probably don't need it because I'd be so arrogant. Uh, so I don't have any Jewish blood. I have Scotch, Irish blood. Do you know why we should be glad that the wall of separation is broken down? Because us Gentiles are on the other side of the wall. And we can't get in. And there's no way to get in. And we don't belong in. My people were the people from Scotland that ran around with very few clothes and painted their bodies blue and ate people. And I don't think they were the best candidates to be introduced into the kingdom. But I'm grateful today that the wall of separation came down. So, here we see in Pentecost the great harvest. The day of Pentecost, this rookie preacher from Asbury Seminary, he didn't have a PowerPoint, no pretty pictures. He stood up and preached about what had just happened in the last days from Joel chapter 2, and 3,000 rough men from around about 15 or 20 countries said, I understand, I want Jesus. And the church was birthed, and we've been off ever since, and I just believe the greatest harvest of all time is either here 
or it's on the way. And we get to be a part of it. And we live for that. This is why we live. Okay, now let's go to the fall. I'm trying not to get myself in trouble here. I'm trying, I'm trying not to get myself in trouble here. I'm trying not to get myself in trouble here. But I have a theory and my little brain cannot keep the theory to myself. I'm kind of like the archer that gets within somewhere three feet of the target once every 36 shots. Okay, so I'm just telling you. And your pastor is making no predictions. I'm not selling t-shirts. I'm not starting a denomination. I'm not starting a podcast. I'm making no promises. So don't you dare go out of here. You know what Steve said today? He made all these predictions. I did not. I got my leg up in the air. I'm not predicting anything. But I do have a theory. Can I just tell you my theory? If... The previous, if the big things of faith happen on precisely the Jewish holidays, and God said, these are my appointed special times, and there's three more left. I'm just kind of thinking, I'm just kind of thinking out loud, and I am not about to go up on a hill in Berea somewhere and just wait for Jesus to come back. That's what the Thessalonica Nike guys did. I'm not going to do that for two reasons. One, there's too much work to do. I want to stay in the field. I want to win as many people as I can in the short time we got before he comes back. And the other reason, on the hill in Berea, there's no food up there. So I wouldn't stay more than a couple of hours and I got to go get something to eat. But here's what I will do. During the month of Tishri, which is what, what months for us? September and October. I might take my glasses off and look up in the sky. I might get up and say, Lord, these are two very special months for you. This year, next year, Lord, but my Savior can come back anytime he wants to. He has never asked my permission. He doesn't even ask for my advice. He can come back July 4th. He can come back on my birthday. He can come back back in March. He can come back anytime, and I will just be tickled pink. (laughs) So he can come back whenever he wants to. He doesn't need my advice, but I just kind of see a pattern. And when I see a pattern, I go, yeah, it kind of makes sense. So number five is Rosh Hashanah. And I'm telling you, my interpretation may be wrong. Never just buy in what anybody, any Bible teacher tells you. You listen. Take it with a grain of salt. Check it out. It's a rapture of the church. When was Rosh Hashanah this year? It was last Sunday, September 17th. Well, why would you say it may be the rapture of the church? First, Rosh Hashanah means the new year or the head of the new year. It was also known as the Feast of Trumpets. Everyone say Feast of Trumpets. That's a little bit of a clue to me. 
The festival would last 21 days. It was a wonderful celebration. But the one word I give this is the word in gathering. Why? Because that's what they did. I want you to read this verse, these verses out loud, please. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with a voice of the archangel, with a trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and still left will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with him forever. Encourage one another with these words. It will happen. I just don't know the time, but it will happen. And the shofar that will be blown from heaven and the shofar that was blown in Jerusalem said the king is coming down the street. Number six is Yom Kippur. Say Yom Kippur, please. You can read about it in greater detail, Leviticus 16, on this great holy day. The high priest would have brought to him two male goats. One male goat's life would be taken and the blood would be placed on the altar for the forgiveness of the sins of the nation for one year. And to me, this is a picture of Christ's second coming. When is Yom Kippur? Can somebody tell me? Remember third grade level? Sometimes the answer's on the screen. When is it? Which is today, it starts at sundown and goes to sundown on Monday. It is the most holy day in the Jewish Bible, and the Jewish calendar. By the way, there were two goats, the other goat. A, a Levite would hold the goat with a tether and it would be given a long parchment. The high priest would place his hands on the head of the other goat and the sins of the nation would be read. And God said, if you will confess these sins, we will, I will transfer the sins of the nation from their responsibility to this goat. The goat would be led out the main gate of Jerusalem, taken south to the Judean desert and released. And that goat was called the scapegoat and these are the days of awe nineteen seventy three a coalition of Arab armies attacked Israel, primarily Syria and Egypt. They thought on the highest holy day. The Jews will be caught off guard. They won't be prepared. And they didn't have much in ammunition. Their tanks weren't well supplied. People were worshiping. And all of a sudden, these armies attacked from several generations. It got really dicey. Israel got a miracle or they would not have survived. God moved on the heart of an American president. Does anybody know his name? Richard Nixon, a man with a checkered past. Russia was about to get involved. 
And Nixon's advisors were saying, we cannot help the Jews even if they lose everything. And he went against the advice of everybody in his cabinet. And he turned to his military leaders. I want you in 24 hours to get all the artillery pieces. I want you to get artillery rounds. I want you to get ammunition. I want you to get tanks. I want you to get helicopters over there because we will not desert the Jews in their hour of greatest need. And they got a miracle, turned the tide, won the war in 19 days. Yom Kippur points to the future date when Israel as a nation will repent of her sin and recognize Jesus Christ as their Messiah. Uh, That's good news. There's also bad news. We came through the book of Revelation last year. They will do this in the midst of their biggest crisis in a war where they're about to be overrun. And Jesus will appear. And that's when they will recognize him. This verse, would you say it with me from Zechariah? I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace, pleas for mercy, so when they look on me, on him who they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only son. And they will see him. And they will see the scars in his hands. And they will say, oh my, it is true. You're the one. Atonement is a key word. The Hebrew meaning in atonement has two meanings. One is to pay a debt you couldn't owe, you couldn't pay. Have you ever had a debt you couldn't pay? And the other one is once it's been paid, now you're pure, you're freed, you're pardoned. It's not even on it there anymore. The last one is Sukkot. Everyone say Sukkot. It's a beautiful one. It's called the Feast of Tabernacles. I'm not sure, but it, could it be coming up? I'm not sure. Is it? Is there a chance? Feast of just? Do you have any idea? When should I turn around and look? For eight days. This coming Friday, starting at sundown. Feast of Tabernacles. Hello, we're getting clues. Hello, get your magnifying glass. Hello, pay attention, earth, church. Hello, wake up. Making no predictions. Look for the clues. What's it mean, Steve? It's the inauguration of Christ's millennial kingdom. He comes back to earth. The devil is thrown into the abyss. All of his enemies are slain. And he sets up his thousand-year reign in Jerusalem. That's called the millennium. The Feast of Tabernacles is the most wonderful, festive event for Jewish people of all the feasts. Look at that. See what that is? The Jews who love the scriptures, they built a tabernacle or a booth or a tent in their backyard and they go out there and live and their families hang out and they eat their meals 
And they read the Psalms and read the story of Exodus. And they don't work. It's, it's like the best of camping. Look at this. I don't know if this is Jerusalem or Beirut or Buenos Aires. Well, look, this is, this is an inner city somewhere. Look at all these booths they've built. But what's the key word? The key word is habitation. Everyone say it, habitation, which means I'm coming to your house. I'm going to live with you. This is when the Messiah says, I've been away from my family too long. Too long. Little tiny clue. Worship team, would you wonderful people come out? Look at this little clue. John, the youngest of the 12, who lived the longest up to his 90s, by the Holy Spirit, he wrote John 1, verse 14. He said, the word Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. And that word dwell means tabernacle. And we beheld its glory, the glory of the only begotten, full of grace and full of truth. I hope you learned something today. Hope this made sense to you. I hope you go, man, God can speak to me through Leviticus. Every page is important. And there's hope in every story. But I just want to close this part and as we worship this last moment, which is the most important time. Are you ready, completely ready for when Jesus returns? Because when he comes, it's going to be very quick. Do you think when he splits the sky, you're going to have time to get right with him? I don't think so. It's too late at that moment. Or if you're a believer and you're living and walking in known sin, it would be smart to get right now they'll be embarrassed when he comes back. People watching online, I just want to end my part today by saying, why don't you get right with God? Why don't you come back? Why did you turn your back on the one that loves you the most? He's ready to come. And forgive you, make you his child, and give you a better life than you can imagine. So if you're here today, you need to get right, you need to confess your sin, you need to make your decision, just do it. Stop putting it off. The devil's got nothing for you. This world's got nothing for you. He's got everything. So just with your eyes bowed in great humility, you can just say, Lord Jesus, I'm kind of tired of running. 
I'm tired of thinking I know better because I don't. Be my Savior and Lord today. Save me from end to end. I confess my sin and I say I want to serve you and you only. So I give you my life today. In Jesus' name. Amen. This altar is open as we worship together. It's a great place to humble yourself. It's a great place to get prayer. It's a great place to just say, Lord, I want to be the man, the woman you want me to be. Come and do business with the Lord.
and fill us again. Fill us afresh today, Lord. And Father, we thank you that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We thank you for the scripture, Lord. We thank you that you speak to us through your word, 
your word tells us when these things begin to happen, look up because your redemption is drawing near. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus, come. And Father, help us, your church, to be the spotless bride ready for your return. Lord, that our lamps would be filled with oil and we'd be ready. Thank you that you're coming, Lord, in power. Now I pray today that you bless your saints as they go out. Encourage them. Give them the strength and the boldness to do the work that you have appointed for them this week. Lord, we thank you for your appointed times for our lives. Bless us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all for worshiping with us. Don't forget to pick up your children. This altar is still open. Don't leave today without doing business with the Lord. God bless you. Have a great week. Thank you for joining us online at Church of the Savior today. We hope you are encouraged to grow in your walk with Jesus. If you made a decision to follow Jesus for the first time today, please reach out to us. We would love to help you take your next step. Please visit our website for information on upcoming events and how you can connect with the COS family. There is also a prayer request form where you can let us know how we can pray for you. Thanks again for tuning in. Hope to see you next week.